Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. I'm getting some fantastic feedback about the podcast and the fascinating guests I've spoken to. It's great to hear that you're enjoying it, and it would be wonderful if you could write a little review of it on Apple Podcasts, as not only does that please the algorithms, but it also looks great for any possible future guests I contact, as it shows that people are listening. As ever, subscribing to and rating the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on is much appreciated, as that encourages the algorithms to push it to more new listeners. Spreading the word by the traditional methods of... uh, telling people about it, is also much appreciated. Thank you. You can find me and learn more about the projects I'm working on at robertlaymusic.co.uk and I'm on social media as Robert Lane Music. Hi, Nicholas. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I'm particularly interested to talk about The Curve, your book and the I don't know, would we call it a a theory behind it? This idea of The Curve, which I have found myself on. I've discovered your free book ebook 10 ways to make money in a free world and then bought the one that you have to pay for and now i'm slowly becoming a super fan so i wanted to chat to you about it um and i just think that people who listen to this podcast will particularly find that very interesting ways that they can make money with their stuff when people might expect things to be free but before we jump into it could i just ask you to sort of outline how you arrived at the curve and what you had been doing beforehand yeah, sure. Although it's a, it's, I'll have to give you the potted history sure. version because a long time ago I was an investment banker and in the city long before the financial crash and all of that stuff. So none of that was my fault. Um, and I found myself mainly working in the media sector and technology as the internet was coming along. Two big areas, the internet and video games. Fast forward 10 years and I found myself much more actively involved with video games companies and i don't know how familiar you and your audience are with video games but we were one of the industries who weathered the transition from pay up front for a product to give it away for free online and make money uh, more effectively uh, than a number of others uh, i think music was at the sort of first wave of the oh my goodness as uh, everything went free and uh, music obviously suffers from the fact that its files are small and easy mm-hmm. to share uh, and that the experience is not massively different uh, whether or not you got it on a cd or whether or not you downloaded it with video games with multiplayer environments with servers we had a bunch of technology on our site um, but my job emerged uh, sort of 10 years ago to be if we are giving games away for free on phones, on browsers, uh, and increasingly on PCs and on consoles, how are we going to make money? And as somebody who's done modeling and forecasting and really like playing video games, uh, I was in a particular place to be able to address that. Um, And the curve came out of doing this work where we figured out we had to find audiences, which is the first part of the curve, find your audience, probably using free, keep them, So find a way to keep having an ongoing dialogue with them. In video games, we call that retention. Uh, And and this is a key bit which people often miss. Let the people who love what you do 
spend lots of money on things they really value. And I was experimenting with that in video games and it was really working. And then it became clear to me as I thought about it that it was similarly relevant for other industries. And as you know, if you've read The Curve, I open with a Trent Reznor storyline from music uh, to avo- partially to avoid starting with video games. There's lots of video <laughs> games in, uh, examples in the book. There's lots of non-video game ones as well. But the Trent Reznor music example really resonated with people. Obviously, it was very full of swearing as well and being mean about the man, uh, which was which was also good. Um, but the way in which he issued uh, Ghost 1 to 4 using free and using really expensive, using everything in between, was a really early and concrete example of, of how you can use the curve. Excellent. So just outline for us what the curve is and how it would apply to different creative industries. So the starting point for how you think about the curve is that we tend to think that the price of something is fixed. The price of an album is you know, 10 or $15 or the price of a video game is was, was $40 or, or whatever it might be. But actually that number, a, a, a paperback is like seven or eight bucks. Uh, I know that you have an English audience. My habit is to speak in <laughs> dollars, so I apologize for that. Um, but the that is really a sort of optimizing for optimizing for cost of distribution a big enough amount of money to justify everybody's participation in the economic effort involved uh, a, a sufficiently large product for a consumer to think it's valuable and a sufficiently small price for them to be prepared to pay it and those numbers were established over time driven very heavily by the distribution difficulty by the challenge of not only finding a, a, a skilled musician or writer or video game maker and then making the product um and I will get in trouble for calling music a product, but there we go. Uh, And then um, uh, having found that, you then had to get it through retail, through distribution, with all of those people taking a cut until you package it up in something which was easy to sell and purchase. Um, What the curve essentially says is two things. Firstly, that number isn't the number. That number is a number that emerged because of the constraints of distribution. And the best way to think of the curve is to realize that amongst all 7 billion people on the planet, there are very different amounts at which individuals value the work that you do, the creative work or value that you bring to somebody. There are some people who will pay thousands of dollars to attend a particular concert or to own a particular piece of memorabilia, and other people who wouldn't listen to your music or read your book, even if you paid them money. Um, alarmingly for most of us, that long tail of people who are not interested in what we do dwarfs everybody else. (laughs) What the internet enabled, the old world of distribution was all about trying to find the artists who at $10 could reach enough people at $10 to become, you know, multimillionaires if you're at the very successful end or to make a living if you're at the, you know, where all the rest of us are. Um, and that was the objective. So it was uh, it was very focused on superstars. Um, the internet still has a superstar problem, which we can talk about, but it also, also enables with hard work and with focus, the ability to say, okay, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could magically look inside the head of all 7 billion people, find the people who aren't interested in my work and, you know, dismiss them or possibly try and convince them but only you know within limits find the people who would like my work and then figure out how to talk to them and having talked to them once like you reading 10 ways to make money in a free world go okay now that i've spoken to you once and my ideas or my music or my art resonates with you in some way how can i move you along to have more of what i have to offer to be more part of my community or my journey so the curve conceptually is a pm appear magically inside everybody's head, figure out 
everybody who would pay a little, a bit more, a bit more, line them up and then offer them a product or a service or an experience or something that they value sufficiently that they will give you as much as they uh, as as they wanted to. So far, so economic theory, what the internet enabled was that actually it started to become possible to find those people. In the Trent Reznor example, he gave away uh, Ghost One for free. He uploaded it to BitTorrent himself in a kind of backwards kind of way of a musician behaving. Mm. Um, he sold the Ghost One to Four collection at a normal price. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but 10 to $20 for a kind of uh, premium uh, sort of a normal price point but he also had 300 dollar versions and he sold um i should have checked this before i came on here i think he sold 300,000 dollars worth in the first day which is only a thousand copies but it's quite a lot of money um and then uh i think it's i think he'd gone through a million in the first week but i'd have to i'd have to double check that figure and the key point there is that he always knew he had super fans who would have given him $300, mm. but he didn't know where they lived. So he didn't know if in the old world of physical distribution, should he have called up the, the guy in Cleveland, Ohio, or Cambridge, Massachusetts, or Bristol in the UK and said, there's lots of people there. You need to take 10 copies because you'll definitely sell them. That was too difficult. But with the internet, he used the free distribution to find the audience. And then as people discovered it, they went, oh, there's a $300 version. I must have that. Um, and some of them, a small number, bought it. And probably the average price was was below the old average of $10. Um, but what this model enables is more people to be able to find those customers. And the kind of very interesting bit is that the it could be a very few who are going to really splurge and buy the top priced element but because those things are quite expensive comparatively they're going to produce a big income from just a few people so it's exactly it's exactly that i mean there is obviously a principle that particularly in the internet today uh, attention is so difficult to find that if you found somebody who loves what you do and wants to be part of your journey, your community, your discussion, your art, your whatever, um, being able to create something which they want to pay that's either expensive or repeated that they value uh, is incredibly value. And I like I like focusing on repeat because I work in the world of video games. I mean, video games are all about manipulating people's emotions. That is literally the job of a video game designer is to create fun by making people feel challenged, excited, scared, whatever mm. it is. Our job is to manipulate emotions. It's a relatively small step from that to manipulating people's preparedness to spend money. And so there is a big ethical question about where and how you deploy those skills. But the thing I like about repeat business is that um, – I don't want to get too far down the addiction line uh, because I think there are two different issues here. But if there are people who are genuinely coming back regularly with a subscription or a payment offering or whatever, you've got some real evidence that they enjoy what you're doing, that they're wanting to support what you're doing. And that's a mechanism by which you as a creator can generate enough money to live and keep keep creating um there are still superstars so we still have that model where uh in our world of video games we have um uh, we have uh games from supercell clash of clans or whatever making a billion dollars a year or more in revenue and in the world of music superstars have not exactly gone away as a result of the uh, of the internet quite the reverse the the big get bigger that's what the internet enables but the mm. niche become more viable because they don't have to be blockbuster the niche you can find that 
that way. Um, and a large part of it, one of the interesting things, because um, I, I learned a lot about music uh, as I was writing the book, but one of the interesting things is how different genres or sub-genres of music find different bits of the curve easier. So the folk community is a lot more is a lot easier on the free end. You know, the couch surfing, the community, the connecting together. And building up retention and connection is much easier. But asking for money risks being against the ethos of folk or, or, or selling out. Uh, in the world of hip-hop, the opposite is true. You know, it's like, I'm rich because you give me money uh, kind of stuff. I simplify, obviously. But it was, it was eye-opening to me to, to realise there was no one-size-fits-all. The principle, find an audience, probably using free, keep talking to them and figure out what it is that you can let them spend money on again and again that they really value that principle holds but which bits of the of the curve are harder or easier for you to embrace depends by the industry by the uh, culture by the subgenre of music um, and you in, in your work you may find that the free bits really easy and getting people to engage with your mailing lists and your discussions or your online activity is really easy um, and getting them to repeatedly come back is really easy but getting them to spend other people can find the stuff that people will buy it's just figuring out how to reach those audiences there's obviously an age description uh, dis- mm. um, uh, issue there younger audience easier to connect with and harder to encourage to give you money and the other way around with an older audience um so it was it was fascinating seeing how much mm. the the curve principle while in a, a helpful framework it's not like a here's the easy solution everybody has to think quite hard about how to make it work for themselves mm. and something from reading the curve that that struck me that i hadn't really thought of before is that as as the digital world continues to develop if we get to the point where everyone has access to a 3d printer it won't just be ideas and music and films and games and things that people can get for free. It could potentially be actual stuff, which up until now somebody had to make and there was no way getting past it. You probably had to buy that thing. You couldn't just produce it yourself so easily. So are we now looking at all kinds of industries being disrupted as well in this sort of way? So, so yes, I think so. I think that uh, I'm pretty sure it was Bill Gates who said that we overestimate change in the next two years and underestimate it in the next 20. Uh, right. And the internet has obviously revolutionized our uh, our lives 20 years on in ways that we didn't predict 20 years ago. And I know because I was an internet analyst 20 years ago and was predicting it and it hasn't turned out exactly how <laughs> I expected. Um, but a number of things did. I mean, obviously, e-commerce has gone online. And the fact that I'm talking to you over Zoom uh, during a pandemic lockdown and we're having a professional meeting and creating art or um, uh, or at least media, if you don't call this art, uh, for other yeah. people to consume, uh, you know, that, that's a radical change. I think with 3D printing, there's still... Uh, conceptually absolutely um there are mm. some things which are just brilliant designs i highlight the uh a, a lessie lemon squeezer in there that looks like a three-legged martian uh, as something which is all is is purchased as much for its aesthetic as for its utility um whereas you know i grew up with an incredibly ugly lemon squeezer in my parents house made out of plastic that was just utilitarian uh, mm. we now have beautiful ones uh, and that is once somebody has done the difficult job of coming up with that idea, um, right now there are production values and everything else. But actually, if I wanted to make one, I probably could. The counter, of course, is that it's probably more expensive to do it on a 3D printer right now, and it's more effort, and it won't look as good. I'll have to spend ages filing off the rough edges. And to be honest, it would be cheaper, better, 
and to an extent more ethical. I say to an extent because there are interesting questions around copyright of those kind of physical items, which I think we'll continue to wrestle with Mm. um, over time. What I do think is happening is that something in that area will start changing. Uh, That print-on-demand area is valuable. And I think we're definitely future gazing now, but I have a printer at home and I didn't have one when I grew up. And my kids are growing up with the expectation if they want pretty well anything, you know, a picture, a, 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 a document from school or whatever, they don't need to keep it. They can throw it away and just print it again when they need it and, and so on. Um, that isn't how our life lived back then. We had printing presses to do that job when I was a kid. And now I have one in my living room. At some point, I think that I'll have something like that. And maybe a Leslie will decide that for certain things, it would be better for them to do it this way, to to treat their business model differently. Always the danger along that way is what happens to the people whose entire business was predicated on the old constraints. Um, newspapers are my favourite example there. Um, we think that we paid for news. We never paid for news. We paid for the aggregation of all of this information and uh I'll come back to that, actually. Uh, And the advertisers paid for access to us, and they were the majority of the revenue. Mm -hmm. But news was a very small part of it. There were crosswords. There were lifestyle pages. Obviously, there were classified ads, which made much more sense on a searchable database on the internet. So uh, housing, job markets, cars, all of that went away. Um, And then niche areas of interest went away. Sports went away. Weather went away. Crosswords went away. And all you get left is this very narrow niche of the newspaper. And it turns out not enough of us ever paid for it. It was all bundled together. And what the newspaper was selling was aggregated attention. It was purchased. You know, what, what we wanted was this aggregated focus. And the internet is aggregated that in one way. But what the advertisers wanted was access to us. And Facebook has got it now and Google. And there's a reason why those two organizations have 90% of all the new advertising that was added last year was them. I think the number might be that they have 90% of all internet advertising, but they certainly had 90% of all the growth in advertising last year. Um, And it's because they're the aggregator now. The newspapers used to be aggregators, but not on a global scale, not 2 billion monthly active users, not uh, everywhere at once rather than just in different geographies. Um, And that, I think, is a fascinating illustration where we think, well, we used to pay for news and now we didn't. go, no, you never did. It's just a a category error of the analysis. Uh, And I think to your point about 3D printing, it's that same question. What is the the thing that we think we're paying for, which Mm. when we have a 3D printer in our home that is good? Because right now they're getting better, but every 3D printed item i've had looked like it came out of a 3d printer it looks like a school project uh we're we're not there yet um so i I think to my mind i mean obviously i have the luxury now i finished the book in 2012 i think originally Mm. so um i mean we we did a a revision as well when the paperback came out Um, but i've got a bit more hindsight now i think it was a it's it's a little bit further away but there's a potential it will suddenly turn up because that's what sort of happened to the internet. It was there and it was really exciting. It wasn't really there. Um, it wasn't at scale. And now all of a sudden we find that we can't live without it. Uh, as I found yesterday when my internet went down for four hours and it was a complete disaster. Yeah. And in particular, the times that we're in at the moment, you do think if we were in this pandemic 10 years ago, but certainly 20 years ago, how different that experience was. Exactly. Been I do everyone. feel quite sorry for my kids, to be honest, because I think they'd have had a, they'd just have had the whole summer off. It would have been amazing for them. It's better for me <laughs> but, uh, yeah. and better for their career prospects. But you know, all those kids who, with no pretense that there was the internet, were just you know kind of made to, to stay at home and have fun. Um, poor, yeah. poor parents, obviously, but, um, <laughs> but lucky kids. 
Okay, um, I'm convinced because I've seen it in action in sort of the the music and the writing and things that I've done. It's interesting how quickly something goes from being this new idea that the the sort of crazies are talking about to being quite quickly a an overall thing. So, for example, crowdfunding. By the time I finally got around to crowdfunding an album for the first time, the problem wasn't that nobody understood crowdfunding. It was that every artist under the sun was already doing it and you had to grab the attention. And it was, as you as you explained, the people who liked what I did didn't care that other people had already done it. It was just grabbing enough people who liked what I did to get them to crowdfund. So it's quite an interesting process. Um, so, yeah, it's just qu- interesting how quickly things become... I think you make a really interesting point because when Kickstarter first started, you could go to Kickstarter and put something up there to see if a community would form around it, to see if an idea was good enough to that there were enough people out there who wanted it. I don't think you can do that anymore. Kickstarter is so crowded that if you don't have a pre-existing community to bring to um, uh, to this uh, to this platform, actually getting the discovery is incredibly hard. So as an artist. Well, Kickstarter is not a start anymore. It's it's not a goal. It's not an end goal either. It's a middle. The start is to build a following through social media, through email. I love email. I know I I know I'm you know I'm, I'm not fifty yet, but I'm I'm closer to it than I'd like to be. Uh, and email is an old fuddy duddy's thing. But the joy of email is it's mine. I have an email list that I own. Uh, if you go to Facebook, they did the biggest bait and switch in history they persuaded all the brands to stop having their own website and build facebook pages and then they took away the the ability for brands to talk to the people who would like those pages without paying facebook advertising money which is the greatest bait and switch in history Um, i expect twitter will do the same i expect instagram i expect every platform will encourage you to build your audience there and then charge you to talk to your own fans so for me the goal and i will come back to your crowdfunding point but the goal is to you, all of those social media environments are low friction, easy to start engaging with. People can like you with a single you know, swipe or, or tap of the screen um, and you've got them. But they're not, they're not committed to you. The people you bring across because you're offering them something that they really value, a community, a content or whatever, through an email list or something which is much more in your control, mm. those are the people who are your real fans. And then the super fans are the subset of those who want to give you certainly tens, maybe hundreds, possibly thousands of pounds depending on on what it is that you're you're offering within that crowdfunding and kickstarter like platforms are fantastic for two reasons the first is that if you have any interest in this area every single kickstarter tells you how much a tier cost and how many people backed it at that tier and what it is so it's like the biggest market research in how this works it's just out there in public if you want to know what you can sell to fans of a particular genre Go and look at Kickstarter. It will tell you what fans of a particular genre have bought. Now, don't just copy. We're a creative industry. People want to see something new, and that's what they'll value. But as market research goes, that's fantastic. Um, and you can also see the analysis. Uh, we see it again and again that between 15 and 20% of the, the people who give you money are about half of the total money generated. So the top 20% are half or more of the revenue. Now, one of the challenges there is that sometimes that's because you didn't well price your high-end uh, uh, rewards. Poster, posters are a particular culprit here where you think it's cheap and it's really expensive, mainly in getting the bloody thing to people. Um, mm. But um, I think so. I think there is a there is a margin issue which you have to bear in mind. The people who are buying your digital product for two dollars, you're getting most of that money. The people who are paying your one-off gig where you travel halfway around the country to go and do a gig in their living room for $1,000, 
just think how few of those you can do and how much your expenses are and uh, be aware that part of this is to satisfy your community. It's not as revenue generating as you might like. Mm. Sorry, I got a bit distracted in there, but I think the crowdfunding thing is absolutely right. And uh, yeah, bringing your community with you to the crowdfunding, it is now the middle of your strategy rather than the end of your, uh, rather than the beginning of your strategy, which it was much more so when I wrote The Curve. Cool. I would like to ask then, sort of play devil's advocate a little bit with how I can imagine some creatives listening in mm-hmm. and sort of having some perhaps issues with this, because basically what we're looking at is a completely different model to the traditional one that I never worked in, but I was brought up in. So this yes. idea that you make a record and you sell it, and if you do well, you sell millions of them, jobs are good. And now, I know for a fact that wasn't the case for the majority of artists ever. <laughs> Most of them might have sold a lot of records and not seen a lot of money for it. But anyhow, for people who are still in that mindset, a couple of questions, sure. a couple of points. I deserve to be paid for what I create. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, output matters more than effort from the point of view of uh, the the basic capitalist market. Uh, and we do live in such a thing, whether you want to or not, and we can, we can uh, adapt it. To my mind, that's really interesting. My, my brain is going through, uh, my brain has changed, not so much changed on this, but how I would approach this has changed because of the pandemic. So we as a society for a very long time have had that the value of somebody, uh, somebody's output or worth is how much we pay uh, and there's been a weird disconnect that a lot of that advantages uh, people or industries who can take advantage of winner takes all effects or um, uh, or particular distribution channels like you know, superstar artists or authors or TV stars or film stars or whatever. Through the pandemic, it's become obviously clear that the people we pay the most are the least valuable to our society and the people we pay the least are the most valuable to our society. I mean, I think that's come across really kind of clearly. Um, and I think that there is a a really interesting question around, I deserve to be paid for my work. Where I go is that unequivocally, the people in the caring professions deserve to be paid. You know, they're, they're put, uh, much better than they do. They're putting the hours in to do really important work that keeps the whole of society functioning. When you are lucky enough, as those of us who work in the creative professions are, to choose to work in those areas, I think that it is the case that if you make art that nobody else values, that's a valid choice, but I'm not entirely sure it's appropriate to be angry about that. I mean, I think that you need to you need to be aware that uh, the commerciality of art has always been a thing. Michelangelo painted because people paid him to paint, and he painted particular things. Some of the greatest uh, art in history has been created through a patronage system, um, and. That doesn't mean that we should go back to patronage. That's not what I'm getting at. Um, I'm merely saying that the commercial and the creative have always been hand in hand. Um, I do think that there are some people who are better at this community building or enjoy this community building, relationship building environment and think about new products to sell within their artwork rather than just making an album and and sell it. Um, But I don't think that you can say that just because you've made an album, any other poor person has to listen to it. Uh, (laughs) Genuinely, I, I don't think that's a sustainable position. Sorry. Okay. That, that's a fair point. Why would anyone pay for something that's free? Now, that one is really interesting, and uh, I, I may have to stretch over my next meeting to be able to answer your question there. Um, so I think one of the most important things which 
struck me as I was writing the curve and other elements. In the world of video games, we often give away hats. It's become a shorthand for the things we give away. We give away this really expensive game for free, and we sell a hat which you can put on your head for $5 in a video game, which took an artist an afternoon to make. In fact, the original example that really kicked this off was a, a well, really kicked this off in the West. It was already happening in Korea and China at this point. Um, but a game in Korea called Kart Rider, played by millions of Koreans every month. And in the run-up to Christmas, I think it was 2007, a delegation from the UK went over there and came back having discovered that they had made a Christmas hat, a Santa hat, which you could buy in this game. And a million people had bought it for a couple of dollars. So that's $2 million for a, 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 a hat which you which had no had no purpose in the game. But when you stop and think about it, you go, well, why did somebody put that hat on their head? They put their, that hat on their head to feel Christmassy. And we probably all spend more than $2 a year on feeling Christmassy in, in plastic tat in the, in the UK. Um, on top of that, they put it on because everybody else was wearing it and they wanted to be part of that community. They put it on to be the first person to be Christmassy. They put it on because eventually they were the last person who didn't have it and didn't want to be called the Grinch. It was all a social construct was why they put on the hats. And I think music is a classic example of stuff which is more about social construct, particularly for younger people. Music is a form of identity forming. It's a form of community forming, has elements of tribalism, it has elements of anti-tribalism, which has tribalism of its own. Uh, it's all about who you are. And the T-shirts, the albums, when I grew up, all of the posters on the wall were, were band posters or album posters, uh, you know, whatever it, whatever it might be. The reason why people choose to spend money on the clothes they wear, the ordinary clothes they wear, uh, the, 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 the way they decorate their house, the, the music they listen to, the bands they attend is about self-identity. It's about constructing a sense of self. And for me, the reason why people will spend money on things they can get for free is because it is a sense of self and identity, the going to the gig, the being a fan of any particular artist. The In the case of Trent Reznor, the I've got the $300 version on my shelves, or I've got a framed and signed print or T-shirt on the shelves. I saw a great example of somebody who sold a T-shirt for $25 with a free download of the album because he knew that he couldn't sell the album. So he was basically selling a T-shirt. And the T-shirt says, I bought the album. And it's now about a sense of self-expression. So I think what, and I think that is a really interesting part. It's a difficult mental shift. But if you start going, they could pirate the content. Of course they can. And what's more, if I'm an artist who wants people to experience my music, maybe that's okay. What matters is that I talk to some of them enough that they want that my art, my uh, product, whatever it is I've made, appeals to them enough that they want to be part of it more. And maybe they will buy the album because they're the kind of person who likes the physical collection. Um, I can see in the background of our call here, you have lots of physical books. You could have them all on ebooks, but physical books offer you something different. Firstly, you probably carefully created where the spine. So I think that you're an educated man. Uh, <laughs> and I think that you've also got the accessibility, the memory, any number of things. But the content itself, you could either pirate or get more cheaply as an ebook. But you've chosen not to for any number of self-expressive reasons. Fantastic. Okay, Nicholas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. That's been really fascinating. If people wanted to interact with you or catch up with the things that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? I think Twitter is probably the best. So obviously, you can download my book for free from Amazon like you did, 10 Ways to Make Money in a Free World, or they can follow me on Twitter at Nicholas Lovell. Thank you, Nicholas. That's fantastic. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye.